Hey, just a quick editor's note at the top here. Um, this episode contains topics uh, regarding mental health, finances, suicide, and sexual assault. So just a quick trigger warning up at the front here. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to another edition of Thoughts from Player One, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at one story or narrative-focused game and give our thoughts about it. As always, I'm Alex. I'm Duncan. And joining us this week, we have a very special guest. Um, joining us is Eliana from Story Singer Presents. Hi everyone, I'm Eliana. By day, I'm an audio engineer from Media Projects. By night, I'm a game dev for Story Singer Presents. StorySinger Presents is a game development enterprise with one goal, to create and elevate story-driven games. So there's two aspects to that. The create, we create our own games. I just released a visual novel called Sunset, which tells the story of Kay, a magic research and development professional who finally changes her life by signing the divorce papers. And elevate, we do our own giveaways and streams of different story-driven games. The next one will be on Saturday. May 23rd. So that's coming up pretty soon. I don't know if that'll be passed. Um, when this episode no, I, comes out. I think you're good. I was holding my breath like, oh, don't say the 16th. It won't be up by the 16th. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to be tomorrow. You're good. But yeah, it'll, be it'll be on, on the, the 23rd. And if it, hopefully while we're recording. So even if you miss it, you'll be able to tune in. Fantastic. Great. Um, and this week, we are going to be talking about a game called Little Red Lie. Um, Little Red Lie is a game developed and published by, I think they go under the title WZOGI. I have no idea how you would pronounce that. Will O'Neill is the creative direct on, I think, all of those games. I'm assuming there's more people in that studio or that he um, farms out work to, but I don't, I don't know. Um, it came out July 2017, and you can pick it up on you know, Windows, Mac. It's on mobile, so you can pick it up on iOS, Android. And I think it's also on PS4 and Vita. I want to say it was $15 as of right now. I did not write that down, though, so I'm not 100% sure. Um, and I think it is around seven hours long. Duncan, do you want to tell us just a little bit about how this game plays and very, very general ideas? We're going to get a story summary later on, and we're going to do non-spoiler thoughts before that, but just to give some, some context to everything. For sure. Um, Little Red Lie is a you know top-down RPG maker kind of looking uh, story game where you're playing two alternating stories between um, Arthur and Sarah. Um, the two sort of uh, go back and forth within chapters and Wow, I didn't realize how hard this was to describe until I started <laughs> working on it. It's a I'm very like, oh, unique I know game. exactly what this is. Extremely it's, top it's, tier. It's slightly like, you know, um, I think the Alex described it the best way. Is it's like if today that everyone made like $10,000 less dollars. Um, so is <laughs> what it feels like. I should be extremely it clear. Like. It's what it feels like. I'm not trying to, um, you know turn a blind eye to the economic reality and i i I think it's set maybe a couple years in the future i don't know if it's ever explicitly stated what year the game is set in but it feels like it's you know 2025 or 2030 or something like that i don't know for sure though Mm -hmm. yeah so it it revolves around a lot of themes as you follow both of these characters about like debt and family and truth and one of the main mechanics that is sort of like the draw in for you is that every uh, everything that the characters will say or monologue about um, if that text is in red you know they're lying about it hence with the name and things like that so it is just it's just a very well written longer story um, that I think 
is a really hard sell. And I think that's why I'm having a really hard time sort of like, because <laughs> I want to give it its due, but at, at its very face value, it's like, this is just a really, you know, um, uh, dense or uh, commentary about like culture, economics, family, everything like that. That's kind of wrapped around these, uh, these two characters. So mm-hmm. I think that is, that's very generally what it's about. If you want to add yep. anything, feel free. No, that sounds just about right to me. Yeah, I think I think uh, that works. So, like I mentioned, we're going to go through and just kind of give our, our general overall thoughts about the game. We're not going to get in any spoiler territory here. So if you haven't played it yet, you can still still be on board to this point. We'll tell you when we'll start doing that. Um, but Eliana, do you want to start off by telling us kind of how you felt about this game? You had actually suggested it for this episode. So I assume you have some sort of a history with this game. Um, yes. So, yes, I did to dust this game for this episode. It's a game that's... I don't want to say it's very dear to my heart because it's a hard game to play, but it's it has a special meaning to me, and I've finished it at least four different times now. I think I bought it about two years ago, and it's a very interesting game that depicts a very unique economic reality and situation for both of these characters, and it's especially unique in how it portrays these situations and how they can affect everyone involved in a variety of ways. And that's what makes it so interesting to me to go about spoilers. And that's why I love it so much. Awesome. Um, Duncan, you want to, you want to follow up? No, 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 you follow. (laughs) No, no, no. No, I got it. Um, I'll do it. Um, So I think I, I had a very bell curved experience with this where when I started it for maybe the first 45 minutes, I wasn't really there for it completely. Some of the, like, I guess general worldviews and opinions of some of the characters kind of, it just rubbed me the wrong way for the reason. Again, we've talked about this so many times. It just may have been, like, I was in a weird headspace or something like that while I, was, while I started it. But it just felt very, like, I don't know, it really, really pushed me down. And I understand that that is a lot of, like, you know, Mm. that's sort of the theme of it in a way. So Mm -hmm. I think I just had to accept the mindset. And then I think the writing for it overall is just like, as I played it more, I'm like, wow, this is really well written. Like there are these monologuing scenes where, you know, it, it, it just cuts to, you know, a black screen with white text and obviously the red and everything like that. And during a lot of those, I was just like, you know, bent over my desk, just being like, Oh my God, this is like, this is some good stuff here. And then I think as it started to uh, hit its finale, I I started to feel a little bit differently and we'll get more into that as, you know, we go along, but I think that the amount of time that I spent playing it, I enjoyed it more than like the, you know, like I said, the bell curve of like the bottom of my enjoyment of it. So, mm-hmm. I think it is worth it to check it out um if any of those topics like interest and even if they don't interest you like they i'll be honest they don't really interest me at base face value like it Mm. it is something that i know and i think about in the world and everything like that but you know playing a a a a narrative experience about it isn't something that i'm like trying to bust down the door to do um Mm -hmm. so but really sitting down and thinking about it i i really enjoyed it so even if it doesn't Mm. sound that interesting to you if you have time i really recommend it it just 
it works and some and a lot of levels so it's so weird to talk about the themes and ideas presented in this game and the idea of like whether or not they interest you mm-hmm. because like if someone's like hey what are your interests i would never be like oh economic inequality and how that impacts every aspect of a person's life very um, true very true but you know i i definitely understood what you were getting at and i think i i probably end up falling sort of somewhere between the two of you um like i think both of you had pointed at the the quality of the writing which we'll probably talk about a little bit more um is really good and i i was struggling to think of a word to describe how i felt about it earlier today because initially what i wanted to say was like pointing to the writing and saying i think the writing in this game is much more mature than you would typically get in video Mm. games but i really really don't like it's it is but that feels it feels almost like it is not giving the due to the style of writing like i hesitate to conflate maturity with quality of prose which i think is kind of what i am doing there Um, because we've played other games where the writing is absolutely not this style it is not this heavy it is not this like realistic um it does not clearly like every every scene in this game feels like it is trying to emphasize a point and we've played games where it's not necessarily that but i don't think they're necessarily less mature for that like we've definitely played games that are less mature um but i i just it's it's got a quality I, to it that I really really like. Yeah, What's I that? try and like. I think what I really like about it is sometimes they're able to write things that I've experienced and thought about, but haven't been able to eloquently put into words. Mm-hmm. No, that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah, th- I think that's that's probably it. it. It gives voice to a lot of ideas, and it doesn't feel like it is. It doesn't feel heavy-handed. It is beating you over the head with these ideas, but it doesn't feel like it is beating you over the head with just the ideas, right? It's all really well-contained within the structures of these characters in the story. Um, so I ended up liking that um, quite a bit. I think there... I, I really wish if I had done my due diligence a little better before this episode, I would have you know, snagged a couple of the scenes that Duncan was talking about where it is just like a, a text monologue because I think some of the the quality of writing in those particular scenes was just phenomenal. Alex, Um, Alex, Alex. That's why you always leave it to me because I did it in that 15 minutes that we had. Good job. I went through and actually grabbed only three quotes. So, hey, you know what? But that's good. That's good. So, yeah, yeah, um, I I ended up really liking it. Again, I want to get into the spoiler stuff, so I'm going to keep this short. Um, But I ended up really liking it. I do think um, story structure-wise, there were a couple uh, points of contention I had that – make it a little bit harder for me to um, land totally positively on it. Um, but I think overall, I really, I, I felt like I took something away from this experience quite a bit. And I'm excited mm-hmm. to kind of talk about these these points of contention that I had with the game and, and go into why they worked or didn't work for the three of us. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, let's, um, let's get into that. If you have already played this game and want to skip our story summary, skip to... 1530. Little Red Lie follows the story of two different characters in two different financial situations, Sarah and Arthur. First, Sarah is a 30-ish year old woman out of work and back living with her parents near Toronto. Also living with her parents is your younger sister, Melissa, who has been living at home her whole life and struggling with bouts of severe depression. Sarah's family is out of money, and Sarah can't help but keep lying about her financial situation as well. As the game progresses, Sarah begins to see more and more of the economic realities around her, through friends and intimate looks at her family's finances. Sarah's mother is sick with a reoccurring illness, and one day while helping her mom up the stairs, Sarah's father has a stroke. 
The game jumps ahead to Sarah taking care of her father, now unable to care for himself after her mother passed away. She's struggling with the financial realities of what she can do. At her mother's funeral, Sarah meets Zozie, a financial advisor intimately familiar with her life who convinces her to let him manage her money. Once she agrees, the two begin a whirlwind romance that starts to change some of the ways Sarah thinks. After some time passes, Sarah is caring for her father when the hospital informs her she no longer has the money to afford the treatment. Confused, Sarah blames Melissa for spending from the account, but a nurse at the hospital urges her to consider Zozie. Sarah goes to confront Zozie at his apartment, only to be greeted by his wife, and find out that Zozie is actually a man named Fahad, who has been lying about his whole life. He takes her for a drive. Fahad tells Sarah of his upbringing with nothing and how his daughter will likely need very expensive medical care and that's why he did everything. As the tension ratches up in the conversation, we cut away and are left to assume Sarah is killed. Fahad then confronts Melissa and convinces her to sign their finances away to exchange for a life of relative comfort where she doesn't have to work. The other story follows Arthur Fox, an extremely wealthy motivational speaker. Early on, we see scenes of him giving life talks, speaking with attendees, doing new spots, and flaunting his wealth over new cars. During each of these scenes, Arthur describes in depth his disdain for those without wealth and how he feels more deserving of everything because of his position. Eventually, Arthur drunkenly drives his new car into the side of a strip club. A confrontation ensues between him and the owner of the strip club that ends with Arthur physically assaulting him and putting him into a coma. After this point in the game, the character who played Arthur's boss begins speaking to the player directly, informing them that everything Arthur is monologuing about, she is actually writing for him. She directs the player to move her around and then she leaves the scene. If the player refuses any of her commands, the game force closes and that player is sent back to the last scene. Arthur's next event is at a bar for a charity event. During this, he attempts to oppress others as his assistant is trying to control his nature. After the event, the two are talking in the hotel elevator, and Arthur makes an advance on his assistant. The next scene shows a tattered hotel room. Through his dialogue, it's revealed that he's trying to cover up the fact that he raped her. We get a glimpse of Arthur's crumbling home life before he flies off to the big city to spend his money on prostitutes, drugs, beer, and gamble the rest of his money away. In a drug and alcohol-induced frenzy, he loses all of his money and tries to kill himself. Arthur later wakes up in the hospital and struggles with the reality of his situation and the fact that his status is disappearing. As things begin to seem hopeless, his old boss reappears and offers him his old job back complete with his staggering salary and benefits. We see Arthur peacefully with his wife and kids in New Zealand, away from all the chaos in his wake. He's reflecting on everything that happened. From his perspective, he's grown, changed, and nothing he really did was all that bad. After the credits, we see Arthur's boss again, who offers the player a choice between achievements or learning more about the story. By choosing story, you learn that Arthur's father was pulling the strings for his financial gain, and after some more dialogue, the game closes.
Alright, and welcome back. So we're just going to run through some questions here to sort of get us on a track for talking about a lot of the topics and themes covered in here and how we felt about them. Uh, so first things first, I think we should talk about the format of the storytelling. So, you know, these two characters and the stories being told in parallel, it's, you know, and the how they are completely separate and they don't really ever cross, which mm -hmm. is something that I think is really uncommon for the sort of like two worlds, two characters kind of thing. How did you guys feel about that? How did, how did you process that? And um, yeah. I personally really enjoyed the stories because even though they weren't interconnected directly, they did have a common theme and that theme was showing economic realities in different people's lives. And there's Sarah's life, which is very different than Arthur's. And Sarah's life dives into, as she says in the beginning, I'm 38 years old, I'm going home with my parents, I'm at the end of my rope, I need to tell them I have, I need money. And then she ultimately doesn't do it because she doesn't have the courage after what her father tells her. And then we go into Arthur's story, which is the story of someone who's literally scheming people into something that they can't believe to make money for himself and is just getting richer and richer and richer. So these are two very different economic realities, or economic realities, excuse me. And that common theme and that common thread really worked for me in how it told the story. Did you did you ever find yourself, um, I mean, I guess specifically the first time you ended up playing it, did you find yourself in any way hoping that they would run, not, not that the characters necessarily, but hoping that the stories would connect in more than just theme, that they would have some unifying thread between the two? That's a good question. I never really thought about it personally, because it seemed to me that Arthur's story and Sarah's story and their realities were so separated from each other that the chance that their paths would cross seemed to be almost zero in my mind. So I didn't wish for their paths to cross, but I would have welcomed it in the story, no problem. Of course, it didn't happen, as we're all aware, since we played yeah. the game. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I wasn't particularly hoping for it, because I saw these two people as separate lives duly lived. Yeah, and that's... I, I kind of go back and forth on that, because I do... And Duncan and I, we actually talked, I think, when I was playing this game at some point, and I was like, there's no way that their stories don't in some way end up intertwining, because that's just not a thing that, like... That's not a thing the game narratives do, right? They don't present you two totally disparate things that in no way, shape, or form are going to connect. Because mm -hmm. that's, you know, I just never see that. Yeah. Um, so I think it was a, I, I, I'll go so far as to say I think it was a bold choice to have the stories in no yep. way, shape, or form intertwine. Um, it did leave me wanting a little bit. Um, not even necessarily that, like, Arthur would run into Sarah or anything like that. But, you know, like, there were financial advisors that I think could have been an interesting thread between the two. Um, it, just in some way. I don't think it, the game is worse for it. But it was definitely the a structure that I wanted to have um, intertwining. Because I think the format of, like, one chapter, one chapter, changing character perspective is really good. And, like, most narratives and most fiction that does that I end up really enjoying quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um but, you know, again, typically that narrative is they start very far apart and then the chapters become shorter and shorter until eventually they run into each other. Yes. Um, and not getting that here was almost jarring, I think, in mm. a way. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. And not even jarring in a bad way, too. And I think to to speak to another element of just not just the crossing stuff, but I really like when uh, specifically I can remember with the hospital scenes, they're almost one right after the other where it's like, this mm -hmm. is what happens when Arthur goes through a major medical, you know, uh, uh, trauma. And this is what 
uh, you know, Sarah's dad goes through and yes. how those different differences happen with the different amounts of money. And I think that works really, really well for it. Um, Agreed. Of, like going back and forth. Uh, but Interestingly, though, the hospital scenes is when that was the most like their economic realities were the most similar to each other. Right. That was when Arthur was essentially destitute and actually went to a public hospital um, versus when um, he, Sarah's he, dad ended up going to like a private facility for a while because they had an economic advisor that was ostensibly in air quotes helping them. That's very true. I didn't think about it that it, way. I like that. Interesting. Isn't he in the private one first while... He's in the public hospital, was... and then he talks to the doctor and says, here are all my credit cards. Do what you need to do for me, I believe. Yeah. I think it's cause... because they got canceled. They, or they, they, the one credit card that got declined, and he's like, here's all my cards. I don't care. Run them all. They have money on them. I don't care. I think, yes. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe that was it. Maybe he was in, like, a private room going to a public hospital. I would have to double check because he's in the hospital the twice. Uh, by the end and at the you know middle beginning, um, but yeah, yeah. even that's true. so, that's true. I forgot about that. Uh, even so, I think that that really works for it. But I I I was very jarred, and I think Alex and I spent maybe like a good fifteen minutes trying to speculate, being like, okay, how are these stories gonna get across? <laughs> and I will say that in the process of trying to call it, I'm like, all right, uh, as as we knew it as Zozo before, I'm like. Zozo and Arthur, they're in cahoots. They're gonna take all of her money. <laughs> I'm like, this is this is ridiculous. This oh definitely isn't gosh. what's happening. And that would you know, it would have been like a oh weird, cool kind of ending, but it definitely wouldn't have been um well written. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think so. we both said, Yeah, that would be wild, but I hope they don't do it. That's not gonna be good if they do that. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Yeah. I, was, I was pretty pretty glad, but I, yeah, I think I think that's just that's really interesting. Um, and then in talking about like kind of the way that the story is presented and kind of the, you know, the rich like lower class, rich lower class, that kind of back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, we get you get a lot of like swings in terms of the the way that it's tackling themes and the characterization of different characters. Did you find? Like, did either of you find that this game was particularly, like, relatable or easy to connect to? Or did you find that one character was, you know, easier to connect to than others? Not to ask a leading question, but I don't know that any of us here have a terrible connection to Arthur. Um, (laughs) But did did you guys find this to be a, like, particularly relatable story? Did you find the characters to be relatable? I found Sarah in particular a very easy character to relate to. Not because I've been in the same situation she's been, but because I could imagine in the future, perhaps being in that type of more difficult economic situation. And growing up, I'm from a sort of middle class family that kind of didn't have a lot of money growing up. So I'm kind of used to things being a little bit tighter than they usually are. But near the end, when Zozo, Zozi slash Fahid um, called Sarah out and said, you only really lacked lacked, um, optional things you never lack necessities i also felt called out in that same way because i feel that perhaps i never really lacked the necessities that i thought i lacked growing up even if money was tight so in this way i felt the game was relatable and i wouldn't say you said jarring earlier i would, I would almost say jarring um relatable in a jarring way yeah i think yeah. that's that's fair i i land largely in the same place um mm. i found I found a lot of ways to relate to Sarah's story, um, but 
part of the 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 thing that kept me a little bit from it like part of the reason i found it relatable is because it tackles narrative and ideas that just don't get tackled in this sort of story very well Mm -hmm. and also it was written in 2017 but like it plays in 2020 pretty well so you know that's fine um but i think the the tone of the game um and the the characterization of everybody was a little bit it made it hard to initially relate to personally um Mm -hmm. just in the like almost oppressive nature of everything and how there's virtually no like path to hope or redemption that is like clearly presented by the game at any point made it a little bit like it kept me at arm's length for the first couple of hours Mm. of the game i think at the end i did start to start to fall in a little bit um, with Sarah's story, uh, when when around the time that her her dad had a stroke, I think is when I started to like really start to fall in and feel comfortable yeah. with that character. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, never never felt comfortable with Arthur. Just yeah. absolute monstrosity of a person. It's so so <laughs> yes. hard to handle. Um, What's interesting about Arthur is that it's revealed, I believe, near the end, that most of his monologue is not actually him, but it's the woman. And I thought that was one of the more interesting reveals in the game because it shows that all this these things that we think he thinks and affect the way that he acts, maybe these things aren't related at all. Maybe he just acts this way and has completely different thoughts than what we've seen throughout the game. Yeah, that's like that is something that I've gone back and forth of feeling like I don't really understand how to take that information, right? Like I think this when that was revealed um sort of like towards the middle beginning i was like okay i need to re-read everything arthur is saying as you know someone else's is uh, uh not really even pulling the strings but like giving feeding me the information yeah and the longer that that took place that i was i was trying to think in that mindset the less I was really in, I, I, I could really convince myself that that was happening. And then I just kind of went back to convincing myself that that's just, you know, what Arthur was thinking. And I'm not sure if, and I think the fourth wall stuff is like an entirely separate topic um, that we can really get into here. But I think that that is one of the elements that I almost made my own headcanon where I'm like, eh, that. That didn't happen. This is what Arthur is thinking because I don't want to think past that second level. Um, I don't know how Alex you felt about that, or you know. Yeah, I, I think I mean we may as well just have the the fourth wall sure. conversation here as well because I think it's so deeply intertwined with this whole thing. Um, I this is this is one of the reasons I like not recording about a game like 24 hours after we beat it is because something like this i think sits with me and um impacts how i view it further Mm. and further down the road um because i think initially the fourth wall breaking stuff and the reveal that oh um this i think unnamed character i don't think she ever gets a name who's ostensibly his boss um she you know the reveal that oh yeah, she's the one that is narrating all of this to you. She's the one that is creating this this inner monologue and this dialogue that you find so repulsive. It was interesting, but it didn't really draw me in. Um, but I think I end up coming around to the idea and really liking it with the um, that narrative ending, specifically just the line where she is talking to the player and saying that, 
you know, yes, everything she wrote may not be true. Like, yes, it, you know, all of the in-between stuff, I, you know, I don't know whether or not it happened. I don't know what he was thinking. I don't know what he was saying. But, you know, then confirming, like, I know that he did beat that man. I know that he did rape that girl. I know that he did this. I know that he did that. I know that he did these terrible things. So does the in-between mm-hmm. stuff really matter? Um, and I really like that because, at least in my opinion, no, yeah. not so much. Because, like, the things that he did were so reprehensible that, like, what he thinks and says doesn't really matter whether or not they align with his actions at this point because it's so like so drastic and the dialogue was initially off-putting to me because of how far in that direction it is um i think duncan you and i had even had a conversation about like do we think people really talk like this and landed on like yeah probably there's probably horrible people out there that actually talk and think like this um but yeah i don't know that's that's kind of where i landed with all of that fourth wall stuff and all of that um all of the characterization of Arthur in well, part due to that for both of you. Cause you kind of seem to both align on that, like of, uh, you know, that, well, you know, his actions, you know, it doesn't matter what's going on in his monologue because, mm-hmm. you know, his actions were his actions, but you know, she kind of, I think it was more clear, at least to me that she was filling in the blanks for you to create a more interesting, thing for you to watch Mm. and i guess in that Mm. form it does matter to know like this is what's going on in this person's head i guess but uh, i don't know why you would it feels unnecessary it feels like an unnecessary element to the story overall maybe Mm -hmm. but i I guess that's just my take on it from there that perspective interesting okay yeah i don't i i don't know i'm curious i'm very curious um Partially also because it really, uh, the game really leans into that fourth wall stuff in the two scenes where it happens in terms of like, I mean, at the end of the first scene where the um, the character talks to you, it specifically lets you know that there's some fourth wall breaking stuff going on here. She explicitly says like, hey, you might want to take a break, you know, implying like, hey, things are going to get weird and wild. Um, and then the story's just sort of like, they ramp up in intensity, but they just sort of continue. And then we don't see that again until literally minutes before well, the credits. minutes after the credits um, or really. actually I think it's after the credits <laughs> yeah yeah um so I, I don't know I think it I, I do think it's kind of interesting and I do think it it kind of changes things Eliana how did the how did the fourth wall stuff impact your like view on the narrative so I don't think I told you guys this but I played the Vita Virgin and the Vita Virgin's a little glitchy because okay. you can actually see that final scene again even on future playthroughs so I don't know oh, if the PC okay. version, I'm pretty sure what's supposed to happen is that you make the final choice in the final scene with the woman, and then you never see it again. But on the Vita mm-hmm. version, if you just click continue, replay through that last scene with Arthur and go through the credits again, you can see that final scene again. So I've seen, I think, <laughs> I think every variation of how that scene can go. Okay. And it was really interesting. The first time I All accidentally right. clicked the get the trophy ending, oh, no. which I did not mean oh, to that's do. So rough. I, I, that's um, so rough. My stick on my Vita is a little slippery, so it accidentally went down to the one I did not want to choose. And then she was like, basically, here's your trophy. Screw you. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I, I replayed the game and I saw the credit scene again. And that's when I found out, oh, hey, the Vita version is a little glitchy. There's actually a really cool. interesting glitch in the Vita version that I'd love to talk about a little later. But we'll get to that when we get to that. All right. So I've seen different variations of that final scene. One where she, one where you ask her, hey, are you all right? And she basically says, that's none of your business. Leave me alone. 
And then another scene where mm-hmm. she reveals what's going on with Arthur, and she reveals that her father was at the top, and that's why some things mm-hmm. happened that happened in the game. And then there was yeah. another part of that scene where if you don't ask her, are you all right, and you choose a different choice, she talks about how she actually had lung cancer, and how the company basically screwed her oh. over when she was trying to cure the cancer, and then she ended huh. up dying from the cancer. And I was thinking, oh, okay, is this lady actually a ghost? Is this person not real? I, w- I was um, confused yet intrigued at the same time, is the best way to put it. So a literal the ghost in the yeah. machine. Okay. Ghost in the, literally. <laughs> literally a ghost in the machine, yes. So yeah. I thought that the character was very interesting. I still think some aspects of it could have been better handled. And yeah. I wish there was more of it, because it feels like um an aspect of the game that's there to have a fourth wall breaking twist and idea and i feel like it could have been expanded out even further i would have loved to see your comments on what happened after sarah's father died or what happened after fahid and sarah's sister had the confrontation different things like that but it turns out that if you ask her about sarah she doesn't even know who that is at the end yeah that was really confusing to me i'm like i i yeah, I, I feel the exact same way where it's like, I wish this would have been, if you're going to do it, you got to expand a little bit more on it, I feel like. Um, and short, not to not to derail our conversation too much, mm-hmm. but I went back to watch a, a Let's Play of it because I wanted to just like, you know, see if I may have chosen something wrong or there was something, you know, different that I could have gotten from this because I was a little... Mm. Um, jarred as we're going to use a, a lot in this podcast episode <laughs> by how it just sort of ended and um the guy who's playing it was just like okay all right do i want the story or the achievements and then without a second's thought he just picks the achievements on purpose <laughs> and is like well that could have sucked i'm like it told you <laughs> why did you do this Oh my god. <laughs> also, you're doing a let's play. Obviously, you should pick the story thing. And That's he's like, hilarious. well, I guess that was the game. Um, but That's hilarious. <laughs> it's really funny. Uh, but I, I still think overall, though, that um, they, they needed to fill in a couple more gaps if they were going to do the fourth wall breaking stuff. Um, but I got to say, like, the, the area that that she was standing in at that end mm-hmm. credit scene, like all of the elements they like played with, they kind of like flashed in the background of like, you know, the themes they're talking about, like there were family stuff and money and like, you know, crime stuff. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. There, they, they, I feel like they could have done a lot with it if they wanted to. Um, and especially during those, uh, those monologuing scenes with a black, you know, background and things like that. I think they could play around with a lot of very chilling things. Like I personally found the Arthur scene with the, um, towards the end of his bender. Um, uh, I, I, I once looked up the sentence, but I don't remember what it was, but he's just repeating the sentence over <laughs> yes, and over it's, and over that's again. That's why you get so defensive about it. He says it Thank over you. and over. Thank yeah. you. And then um, it's red too, which means he knows he's not telling the truth about it, which is very right. interesting to me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's whole. We, I'm sure we can dive deep into that whole scene. But I found like that stuff like really just like I'm like, oh, this is kind of freaky. Like this is this is kind of uh, chilling. So yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like they could have done more with it. But Alex, uh, do you have any takes on it? 
I mean, yeah, I you know, not too much on top of what what you guys have already mentioned. Um, I think initially, I actually really like this. Initially, you had talked. Um, again, we talked a lot during the playing of this game because we played it in short chunks and was like, hey, there's a lot going on here. I want to like let out a little bit of this because there's so much that just happened. Um, and you had kind of described where you thought the fourth wall stuff was going to go and sort of being like a meta narrative mm-hmm. about power structures and how the further right. you get up the food chain, the more and more like people have actual control. Um, and I, I think it's kind of... There's a little bit of that there. I do think it's a little disappointing they didn't go too far in that direction because I thought that idea was really cool. You control the game, you control the, Um, you know, power of the world kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and like, oh, the, you know, the, this person's boss has, you know, more control and then the person above them is actually controlling them. And like, again, that there's little tiny bits of that in there, but I don't know that it's enough to really like feel satisfying. Um, And then... You know, the the fourth wall reveal when you choose that whole thing again was that his, you know, Arthur's dad was actually pulling the strings and he's the one that is making sure that Arthur's living this good life and getting him out mm-hmm. of all these problems and everything. Um, and I think it's really interesting because they define it as like recontextualizing the whole story. Um, and I think my reaction at that point was like, oh, man, shitty rich person has shitty rich family. Like, yeah. I'm not that surprised. <laughs> that's just the story of the last three <laughs> years. Like, that's just sort of oh where we're gosh. at right now. Um which, you know, I, I, I think it's good, but it was also, um, I, I wonder if maybe that would have hit me a lot differently even just two mm, to three years okay. ago. Um, because, you know, we're, we're playing this game in 2020, and I feel like, again, the themes aged really well in this game, and I feel like the ideas aged really well in this game. Um, and we're playing this also, in, you know, mid-2020 in the middle of a pandemic, so the stress of playing this game was, you know... I think a little higher than it normally would have been. I don't know yeah. if you all felt that, but the economic uncertainty of these times really rang true with a lot That's of the themes true. of this I game. Didn't even think about um, that, to be honest, I should have. Yeah, honestly. I <laughs> it, was, it was. It was a lot, um, but I think, um, like, I, I tried to because um, specifically Will O'Neill, the, the person who wrote the game, asked what it was like playing this um, Little Red Lie at the time, like at this time. Um, and I tried to then kind of go back and be like, okay, well, what would it have been like if I had played it in 2017, right? Like, what, how would these themes have hit me even just three years ago? Um, and then how would they have hit me like four and five and six years ago and everything like that? And I think that's a really interesting um, kind of thought experiment to go mm-hmm. through personally because, like, I don't know. It, it's only been three years, but 2020 feels wildly different than 2017 did, which felt wildly different Agreed. from like 2015. Um, Big time. So I think a lot of the themes in this game are, although they're still totally relatable, they feel not tired because that sort of theming doesn't get tired, but it feels like much more openly discussed and talked about than it probably did even a few years ago right like i feel like i can't log on to twitter right now without eight people talking about how if one thing goes wrong their entire lives are over and they're creative professionals Mm. that i've looked up to for years so like it's definitely um a, a theme that that hits really well at this time but i'm curious like how did that how did that feel for for you all and was you know do you think it would have felt differently or did it feel differently the first time you played it? Um, and you know, whenever that was, I don't know when you, I like, believe I you initially played it, initially. played it back in 2018. Let me think about okay. that. So for me, I was mainly just replaying this because like I said, I've played this at least four different times. I recently finished a playthrough of it before I suggested it to you guys. So I just replayed about a third of it. 
um, for the show. And when I played it back in 2018, at the time I was just starting to build my career in the audio world. So at that time I'd had some good experiences, some good projects I'd worked on, but I hadn't really hit my stride yet. And now I've had credits with some pretty major people, pretty major companies. So financially things are a lot different now than they were back in 2018, to put it mildly. Mm -hmm. And I suppose maybe that affects my opinion of the game a little bit because even now, um, two years later, I'm still paying off my college debt. So I'm focusing a lot of my monetary effort towards that. And at the same time, I'm aware that because I've had these jobs and because I've hustled for so long to get myself in place in the audio world and in the media world, I have savings and financial means that other people probably don't have access to during this time. So it's very interesting to play during this difficult time because of those factors. Yeah. Well, um, that is a, I, I feel somewhat similar. I, I feel like I feel very, you know, I am still in work right now mm-hmm. and I still feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so is Alex or at least just being in work still. And it makes me feel just like overall very lucky in that way. And um, kind of wrapping back Mm -hmm. around to Little Red Lie, though, and and as a whole of, like, what it's like to play right now is I'm already thinking about these topics so much that looking at it from an outside, you know, outside of COVID and outside of, you know, just like, you know, it's 2020, but just general uh, uh, outlook on finances and stuff like that and family, um, Mm -hmm. it's... Mm -hmm. It hits hard in a lot of weird places that I didn't expect to be hit. Mm. Um, like right now, I have a family member mm. that is, you know, that I will probably have to, you know, not to the extent that, you know, Sarah had to take care of um, her father, but just like, you know, generally taken care of. And I don't know what's going to happen to them. And it's very like, uh, you know, you start to rack through your mind of those possibilities and stuff like that. And, um, what happens to the uh, finances after that. It's not Mm -hmm. often or at all that a game can take that out of you. Mm -hmm. Um, And also um, another one of my family members is actually, it works with a financial counselor. So all of those scenes really (laughs) just kind of, out of like, you know, like the where's the money kind of thing. And um, you know, all the scenes with Bucky and I, you know, I, I actually talked to um, the family member that works with a financial counselor. I'm like, how often do people come to you and say, you know, I've run out of the money, you know, like where, where is it kind of the same thing that, that they Mm -hmm. went through. Mm -hmm. And um, the frequency was more than I expected it to be. Like she didn't really give a, like an average or anything like that. But I was like, Oh wow. That uh," like, she told me some stories that, you know, would take a little bit too long on here, but it just, it, it, you know it kind of surprised me i guess uh in a weird way so i think um yeah i think there's a lot of interesting connections to the real world and playing it today that um i didn't connect with initially but as i walked away for sure just sort of like uh stayed with me Mm. um i think did we have anything else to say on that because i wanted to dive into something about sarah's story well, before we go to that, since we're talking yeah. about 
the third wall, the third wall, sorry, the fourth wall aspects of the game. I just wanted to talk about a glitch I experienced that was really interesting oh, yeah. for me. So oh, yeah, this happened it. on my first playthrough, and I was at this first scene with the woman, and I was reached the end of the scene, and she said, a save? Of course. Just walk me over to that end of the room. So, of course, the game says autosave activated, and I try to walk her to the end of the room so I can go to the next scene, but she doesn't move. I try again, and her character will move. So I put my Vita down for maybe 15 minutes, and then I come back to it, and she still is not moving. So I think, okay, I just got an autosave, so I should be all right. So then I reload the game, and there's no autosave. It puts me back to the scene before where Arthur has crashed his car into the strip club. And at first I thought, okay, this must be the game capitalizing on its theme of lying, to now a fourth wall breaking degree and showing me that it's lying about my autosaves and lying about what I need to do to progress. So then I played the scene again and she moves just fine. And of course the autosave works this time as far as I know. And I contacted Will O'Neill and said, hey man, is this a glitch or is this, is this actually something that's supposed to happen? Because it felt like it could have been intentional. And then he said, yeah, it's actually a glitch. And I was like, aw, that would have been really cool if it wasn't a glitch. But, you know, it's okay. It was really interesting for me. Probably one of the more yeah. interesting glitches I've experienced in a game because it really ties into the game's themes of lying in an yeah, unexpected way. That is 100% true. That's, that is funny that you're like, is this intentional, Will? Will, did you do this one? <laughs> um, thank, by the way, speaking of Will, thank you, Will, no. for that question uh, about how it related to our lives yeah, today. appreciate it. Alex, did you, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say that like I... That's really interesting because, like, that scene also can deliberately send you back, which is probably, like, there's some issue there where it's like, hey, if you don't select the option she tells you to, at least on the PC version, it does just close your game, and when you relaunch Actually, it, you're back Actually, I'm not sure if that scene. works as intended um, on the Vita version, because on subsequent playthroughs, I did try clicking the wrong option, and all she does is say... That's not what I told you to do over and over, and she never actually punts me back. Huh. So maybe it doesn't I, work on Vita. I wonder I don't if they know. didn't have access to the files <laughs> to close it. Thinking. Yeah, that's yeah. interesting. That's that sucks. That was a really cool experience to be like, I'm not gonna do what she. Oh, I gotta. Okay, all right, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I can't do yeah. anything. I here. also defied um, her, and I, and then the game closed, and I opened it up and went, Oh, you're serious? Okay, <laughs> all right, all right, game. I get you. I won't do that again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It does say, she says she'll put you back to a random scene. I'm really hoping it's seated in there that it's only the Arthur scene immediately before, because I would have been, I would have stopped playing oh if it put gosh, me back now. I think it is, because <laughs> the Let's Player I was watching did the same thing, like, when I when I was scrubbing through, because I was curious if they if they messed it up or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's just that one. Mm. Um, so, speaking of lying, um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that I think drew me in to the um where i'm like okay this is kind of a cool idea but became just as important throughout was the idea that okay you know the text in red is the lie from the speaking character mm-hmm. um and i want to talk about how that was important to the dialogues of the characters and if they sort of changed your perspective on them as a whole or individually yeah sure for me it was a very interesting mechanic because it showed that these characters despite their different situations were constantly lying not just to the people around them but to themselves Mm -hmm. i found it very interesting to see how often sarah will lie to herself especially because it's clear that 
She's been in a very difficult situation. She has a lot of debt. She's dependent on her parents. And yet she still can't stop being dishonest in the face of all of that. And that's especially a stark realization to come to in this game for me. Yeah, I I, I agree. I think it, it definitely does add quite a bit. And I think when they're lying to other people and the text is read, that is kind of not yeah. that impactful. But I definitely agree when, when you get just a, a visual representation of how much they're lying to themselves, right? And I think it's... It, could very easily have felt like a gimmick it could have felt like ah here look here's this fun thing we threw in there haha um but i think that they used it in uh, a good enough way like they were intelligent enough about when they deployed it that it it ended up feeling really like it fleshed out the characters a lot more to just see okay what is the character lying to themselves about what is the character not lying to themselves about and then to get an entire like meta contextual mm-hmm. layer on top of that where you know, what is Arthur lying to himself about and what is he lying to other people about, but also everything Arthur is saying is ostensibly a lie created by this Mm -hmm. other fourth wall character. So, like, that is all, what does Arthur think, what does this person think that Arthur would lie to themselves about? Um, And I think all of that ends up up fitting together really well to create a a really interesting um, broad stroke. Yeah, I think that it, I think the, all the monologuing scenes with the lies in it are are my favorite uh, uh, sort of part about those of being like, okay, this is a, this is a really nice way to without having the character to need to say like, uh, I don't really believe that if they wanted me to really know about, you know, them lying to themselves, because sometimes it's very obvious, uh, but other times not so much. So it's a really easy way to sort of guide us in that direction, especially when, those are some of the themes of it. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I think. Uh, did it did it click with you guys immediately or not like the idea, but like, did you immediately like that idea or is it something that you kind of I liked came it to pretty early time? on because it's presented in an interesting way. We're seeing Sarah being all I need to tell them the truth. And then we just see how much she lies to herself in the subsequent conversations with her, with her parents, not just no, not just to herself, but also to them about what's really going on. So it really clicked with me. Yeah, I'm going to say that it it also did for me early too and I think that I think this is something that when we talked earlier on when we started playing this game that I think this game is an extremely hard sell like I said up at the top. Mm-hmm. Um I think that a lot of these kind of mechanics uh or or and I don't want to call them gimmicks because it's definitely not a gimmick, but these sort of ideas of okay, it is a game, so we have to do something that's a little bit more, you know, than text after text after text. I mm-hmm. feel like some developers are, are you know, kind of pushed to do so. And I almost think, too, with the fourth wall breaking stuff that, and I may be completely off base with this, where it's like, hey, let's throw some things in here that may draw someone in on their first couple of hours with the game so they see it through because you know if i wasn't playing the, uh, you know realistically if i wasn't playing for this for the podcast i don't know if i'd actually finish it or not so i think that uh, you know including something that's like hey this is you know something weird fourth wally is going to happen here and here's this you know all red text is lies this sort of brings a lot of people into a a, a a game being like okay there could be something cool happening here 
and then you're drawn in by the story overall and then you're there for the rest of it. Mm-hmm. So I think mm-hmm. it's a gimmick. It's a not a gimmick. It's a mechanic that ended up working really, really well that didn't feel like a gimmick um, and could draw me in. Yeah, I, I, I definitely I mean, I agree that it, it worked well. I think it's interesting that you characterize it as potentially something that was added to like ensure that people are I meant more to say the fourth the story stuff specifically I, was more what but the, the yeah, red text not yeah, as yeah, much yeah. but I think in a trailer in a trailer okay, gotcha. it would help a lot yeah I, I definitely agree with that and I think it does a really good job like you were saying of of kind of changing and making you pay attention to the text a little bit more again the 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 red highlights for lies um so I yeah I, I think overall that ended up doing way more for me than I initially thought it would. Cause in the first couple of scenes, I was kind of on the fence about it. Not that I thought it was necessarily bad, but just, you know, that first scene is you as Sarah, literally like the first scene where you have control of the character is literally you walking around interacting with different objects. And it's like a, just a cavalcade of like, here's why ride sharing might be mm-hmm. bad. Here's why smoking's bad. Here's why the whole city is going to shit. And just like, one after the other uh, and constantly being like a red lie. And I was like, I don't know how this is going to work. This feels like it might end up being a little bit too preachy for me. Um, but it, it definitely did not. It definitely ended up, up sticking the landing so there. So vice versa from endings or beginnings, <laughs> mm-hmm. Oops. vice versa from beginnings <laughs> um, with endings. I found we, we talked a decent amount about like the fourth wall ending, but as far as Sarah's and Arthur's endings go, specifically, let's let's focus on Sarah's ending uh, right now. How did we feel about Fahad? Is you know the the sort of the the way that everything ended up with Sarah's story and Fahad and the 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 climax of this story? Um, how did we feel about it? I thought it was extremely interesting and a very mm. well executed example of um, Chekhov's gun, like literally. Because I did not expect that to come back, but it did in a very interesting way. I found the ending as a whole interesting as well because it paints a new picture of Sarah's sister and shows just how willing she is to have somebody else do things for her if it means she doesn't have to be independent, so to speak. And it shows that she's so willing to stick to that idea that she'll go with this thing even though she doesn't know what it entails fully. And I felt that Sarah, we don't know her fate, but I feel that she's probably dead. Yeah. <laughs> probably dead. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. I don't, I don't know that they leave too much to the imagination there. Yes. They just don't show it. It's on very screen, unfortunate, but. but I feel that she probably was killed by our poor man before this think, whole scene with Sarah's sister. Do you think it's unfortunate because, mm-hmm. like, it is dramatically unfortunate, like, you know, she didn't deserve it? Or do you mm-hmm. think it's unfortunate because you didn't think it, like, um, inf- it made it a better story? No, no, I think it's not that it makes it a better or worse story. I think it Got adds it. to the story significantly. I just think it's unfortunate because here's Sarah trying to work toward a future trying to set her family's finances in order only to find out that the man she trusted with those finances wasn't actually someone she could trust in the first place. And that's when everything starts to all fall down. So it's very unfortunate that that's where her story ended, like right when everything started to fall from under her. Yeah. Duncan, how did you land on it? Um, I got to say the... Well, first off, I've been waiting till recording to say 
Alex, I told you so. I did call the Fahad betrayal. <laughs> yes, you did. So, you did. Oh, snap. You did. You did. You did. And here we are. I said it wouldn't happen because this game was too oppressively sad if he ended up being a bad person. <laughs> oh, so I was yeah, also okay. right. Um. Anyways, so I, I have a really hard time with it. And I think I'm landing more on the it didn't work as well for me with the scenes that followed after um the the initial reveal i think worked pretty well of being like hey this is not the person you you know you uh you knew and going to the the apartment and you know the nurse giving that information and things like that but i think the following Mm -hmm. scenes where you know he drives her out and they're sort of speaking back and forth ambiguously about the, about the or not really ambiguously, but being like, okay, but where's the money? And he's like, I, you know, I'll get to that or I can't really talk about it kind of thing. And the, I just wasn't, and it's not even that Sarah, Sarah's death really, you know, got to me in that way. It was just like, well, this, this sucks, but it doesn't make me feel I don't know. There was just not a lot of feeling I had towards that scene, and I was a little bit confused by some of the reasonings behind the conversations. And um, I know if you haven't played, that doesn't make doesn't add a lot. But I think the um, the, the by the end with Melissa and Fahad and stuff like that, I think that that final reveal of being like, "You won't do anything because I'm offering you this comfortable life." And, you know, you're going to stay here because, you know, I know you pretty much. And uh, she does. And that part worked really well for me. But everything in between kind of, um, I don't know, it just didn't really stick with me. And I am I think I'm still having a hard time defining it. So maybe I know Alex and I kind of sat on the same area, but maybe for different reasons. So do you have anything? Uh, I, I mean, yeah. I, so I'll say I kind of break this up into, into a couple of different parts here. Like... Like everyone has said, I think the Melissa stuff tends to work really well for me. Um, I think the, like like you said, the realization that actually she won't, like, that potentially, like, her just not having this struggle is worth her going along with something that she doesn't fully understand with a man that she very clearly expects may have either kidnapped or killed her sister. Um, I think that is interesting and kind of characterizes uh, Melissa really well and, like, changing your views on her throughout the whole game. Um, the Sarah stuff, I think the scene itself, I, I enjoyed that scene, right? I, I think it was, <laughs> enjoyed is a bad word to uh-huh. use about that scene. <laughs> um, I think it, um, it was well written. It was dramatically like, I think the inner there monologue. There we go. <laughs> yeah, that's better than enjoyed the scene where a person gets murdered. Um, no, I, I think it, like, it all fit together really well. I just don't like that characterization of Fahad that much. And I think part of it comes down to um, the the monologue he gives where he talks about, you know, why he's doing this, right? Like, he, you know, he expresses um, that there is some level of expensive operations and issues that are going on with his child. It's left a little bit vague, but, you know, mentioned that, hey, there's going to be, uh, this is going to be extremely costly and that he would do whatever, you know, anything for his child. And I don't have any issue with that. Um, and then he gets on to the monologue where he talks about like, oh, well, you never like 
you know, would your father do anything for you? And then, you know, when Sarah responds that yes, you know, he talks about how they never really experienced poverty the way that he did. They never lived the, the difficult life that he did. They never did anything like that, you know, and that's why he was driven to do this. And that's kind of why he was willing to, you know, he's lived that life. He knows that he is willing to do whatever it takes in order to secure a better life for his family. I don't, I don't hate that, but I, that idea, that line of reasoning just doesn't sit well with me. Um, not because it's not true necessarily. I just, you know, personally, ha- I take issue with direct comparisons between, you know, my lived experience and your lived experience in that mine was objectively worse because of this. Um, And it fits in really well with the theme of like, oh, yes, you know, the theme of money and everything like that. But then he goes on to make assumptions that like, well, I don't think your dad necessarily would have done all of this for you. But I mean, again, the reality is that that is pure conjecture. Like you you don't know because the lived experience of these characters are so drastically different, right? I think comparing them one to one and essentially landing on where he ends up landing which is like mine was worse i had a worse life than you might not be necessarily wrong but i think it in no way shape or form justifies the actions that he then goes on to take and i think the game portrays it in a way that wants us to feel more sympathetic for fahad than i ended up feeling um and that just that didn't sit well with me and i didn't you know it it, it felt to some extent, it felt very gotcha in a game that was not previously like that. Um, I didn't mind the reveal that, like, oh, he's, you know, not who he says he is. I just don't think that the characterization after that worked for me in any particular way. Um, which, which is a shame, because, again, the reveal of him being somebody different and then all of the Melissa stuff I thought was really good and really well done, and I think that worked really well for me. It's just that one critical scene didn't land, and... Um, it's unfortunate because that was, you know, the last scene with Sarah, so it ends up leaving a disproportionately large impact compared to the the, the rest of the game for me personally. And again, I think a lot of that is a lot of that is personal politics. A lot of that is, you know, experience. A lot of that is, you know, what have you, personal preference. Um, so I don't think it's necessarily a knock on the writing of the game. I think it's just it didn't work for me, and I'm trying to to work through why to some extent, live on mic, because I haven't yeah. talked this out out loud. I feel I'm like I've talked learner. it out, um, but I just so. I can't land on it. It's it's a really... I don't know. It, yeah. I I think I'll just be I'll just be wasting time by trying to, to put it... take and, it apart. And I think part of that also comes to... And I want to talk about Arthur's ending really well, um, or I want to talk about Arthur's ending quite a bit as well. Um, but I think part of that comes down to this game's depiction of um, wealth and class and everything like that, because I think it does such a good job. But I think it's also not bad, but really interesting that this game goes to such lengths to have Sarah you know, discuss with herself and other people how destitute she is, how crushed by debt she is, how like it is incomprehensible to find a way forward with her you know current income and opportunities to not end up bankrupt i think it does like a really really good job of that but the game never displays them in any actual poverty right like from a purely visual standpoint from purely like where the scenes take place and how they're constructed you could 
perfectly well think that she's going to live a perfectly fine middle class life, right? She never has to sell her home. We don't get like her being forced to move out of the city to somewhere less expensive in like a more rural area. Like, and I don't think the game necessarily needed that, but I think it's really interesting that a game so in a game so deeply concerned with class and poverty and wealth, we only really get a a depiction of you know, kind of like middle class millennial, like lower middle class millennial lifestyle and then like uber wealthy. We don't get like anybody actually, like, you know, we never saw anybody living on the streets. We never saw anybody, you know, three people to a one bedroom apartment or anything like that, Um, which I, I, again, I don't necessarily think is a knock on the game. I just think it's interesting that they chose not to show that version of poverty. That makes sense. Hmm. Yeah. I don't really have anything to add on top of that point. I just thought it was something worth pointing out yeah, because no, I had thought absolutely. about it the other day. And you wanted to talk about Arthur's ending as well? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How how do we feel I about Arthur's like ending? I felt like it was basically him taking a victory lap that he did not deserve in yeah. a way. He was basically just <laughs> mm-hmm. talking about how much he changed and how good he is and bloody, bloody, blah. And he had not done those things, really. And I love the part where he talks about how... He's making all his kids love him again by spending on anything they want. It's just, uh, okay, you do that, you're going to get some real spoiled kids in a couple years. So good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's how I felt. I got to agree with you there for sure with, uh, you know, what was what was presented there. Um, I kind of wrap the ending for Arthur up from the bender to the scene that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um that that whole bender scene was really hard to watch and just like and participate mm-hmm. in and it you know it makes me so uncomfortable because like thinking like taking out the whole fourth wall stuff like thinking the way that someone in that situation and in that place thinks and processes information it's so scary to just be there and be a participant in it even if it's fiction it's just like it really boggles me in a way where I'm like, how is this your next logical move? But it is. Mm. And um, I sort of <laughs> like the whole, I'm going to go to Vegas and blow it all. And if I can't, if I don't make the money, I'll just kill myself. And like, that is such a, you know, when do we see that ever in, you know, games and you know, I don't, I don't watch a ton of movies, but like movies and stuff like that. I feel like maybe movies a little bit more. It's it's definitely I think more common in in movies than sure. I don't agree with like that. Than it is in games. It's just virtually yeah. never and in games. I think that this character and this is more Arthur overall is really interesting. Where I, I kind of bounced around what I thought of him as. Um, he kind of without all the crazy um, you know uh, theories and stuff like that just gave me like total Alex Jones vibes. And then I'm like oh, it's very like almost. <laughs> you know much more like trump like in a weird way and then just oh, kind of yeah. going back and forth and you know all, all that not even a weird way just it, it just is and um <laughs> yeah and i started to think about bad characters as protagonists and we always have bad protagonists as uh, you know you hate to love them kind of thing but arthur's not one of those and it's such a weird take on bad protagonists to be like this guy's a piece of shit and there's no way around it. He's just awful, you know? And yep. um, <laughs> I think that is such a cool thing. To, 
cool, you know, just kind of like the I enjoyed the scene where the character died. <laughs> yeah, just keep throwing out these positive descriptors for horrible, yeah. horrible things. Yeah, that's oh good podcasting right dramatic, there. It was dramatically pleasing. <laughs> to, yes, to there we go. It's a play as that that character and, and to think like him. Um, and I think the ending just like you're angry while he's happy. And that is such a, mm-hmm. it's such a kick in the stomach, and I really enjoyed it, quote unquote enjoyed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think overall his yeah. story wrapped up really, really well. And yeah, Alex, what about you? Yeah, I mean, I, I generally agree. I liked his, I liked the ending of his story quite a bit. I think you know, it, it felt like the only way his story could end that kept. Um, kept true to the themes of the story the idea that like oh actually turns out yeah money pretty much can just do whatever money buys you happiness it buys you power it buys you immunity like it's money is you know it is the number one leading factor in how your life turns out Um, and I think that that tied together really well but I actually want to go back to something you you had mentioned there Duncan um, when, when you were talking about like protagonists in games as bad people um and just being like you know completely put off by them i think that's such an interesting idea um more so than i do because again you do see this in in movies and you see this in novels and you see this all over the place where like the protagonist is a bad person um but i think in games it definitely just hits differently because you are are Mm -hmm. taking part in that like you you are there is no way for the story to continue if you do not do the horrific thing that they are planning on doing, right? And I think this kind of came to a head in what I feel like was probably, at least in my mind, the most shocking and um, disturbing scene, which was the you know, scene that just hard cuts to big red letters of cover-up rape where you have to then you know, play as Arthur and essentially like, cover up the evidence that you just yes, raped your assistant. Definitely. And like, I felt like almost physically ill going through and like doing those tasks and not even that but like the the monologue you get before like you do each of those tasks where he's just explaining like oh i'll just open the windows make this place look a little more bright and cheery and i'll make sure that i uh you know get rid of this so it doesn't look like maybe she could perceive it this way and it just it's like it would be miserable in a a novel it would be miserable in a movie because mm-hmm. it's like a horrific thing but being forced to control the person who is doing that and being forced to look at the objects in the room and decide which one to click it just it was extremely difficult to get through that just particular monstrous. scene i feel like that whole scene yeah Ugh. it's you yeah. know it is it really and, and i mean they make sure like he definitely made sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to assume that he worked on pretty much the whole game as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, he made sure to really, like, make really jarring, bizarre audio for the TV that was on and oh, just, God, like, unsettling yeah. music. Mm-hmm. And he they, they did a really good job of making that as uncomfortable and, like, like Alex said, just, like, feeling, oh, I feel fucking, I feel sick after this uh, as possible. And, um, yeah, it, it's... It, it is definitely his climax of awfulness. But I think mm-hmm. when we're talking about Arthur, another important facet to talk about him is because even though he wins in a way where, like, yes, he is in, you know, New Zealand and New Zealand, right? Is that where he ends up? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's I think it's something like that. I'm pretty um, sure. Uh, he still has, and throughout the entire game, does have these. Um, really really bad self-image issues and like self-confidence issues and 
he deserves them. But, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> <Amen>. <laughs> um, but, but I think that is another really interesting part about his character. And again, this could be the, you know, the fourth wall character sort of like inserting these in here. But I really like one of the yeah. scenes that I forgot about. But when I look back, I'm like, that was a really good way to introduce, um, introduce that, that facet of his life was when he was at the car salesman. Does anyone mm. remember that very well? Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah. he is like, you know, uh, shopping for a car. And, you know, I, I, I'm not exactly sure what triggered him. From what, it. what triggered I think it's him is that assumed... the, he came for the limited edition red, but it was all sold out. And he had to settle yeah. for the limited edition black, I believe. Yeah, and it was something about respect. I think I pulled the quote. Oh, you pulled the quote? Okay. I think I did. Oh, man. It's about to get, like, real high-quality podcasting in here if we got quotes from the text. This is good. Okay, yeah, yeah, I, I do have that one. Oh, wait, that one's a different sad one. Okay, okay, here we go. Uh, in the end, did I drive out mm-hmm. out of there in the... Oh, shit. Okay, here we go. <laughs> this one's for real. <laughs> for real. <laughs> this time. <laughs> in the end, did I drive out in the limited edition black? Of course I did. But is that the point? Hardly. They disrespected me. They probably sat around for days because I came in laughing, calling me a fat piece of shit. A fuck... You know, this is going to be pretty graphic, guys. <laughs> a fucking idiot with no more money than brains. And what are they? They think they're hot shit because they're sexier than me, because they have their stupid fucking non-executive MBAs, because they buy off the rack and go to fucking nightclubs and twirl around with their fucking little cocktails. You're goddamn right, you do, cocksuckers. And to think it matters, and to think it makes you better than me, you must be insane. You do that all for me, to sell me shit, to seduce me into it, as if I don't know what's going on. You belong to me. Everything you do is sticking out your tongue to catch a few drops from the money-stained Egyptian cotton towel I wring out over your cum dumpster mouths. And I and all I ask, literally all I ask is for respect. That, like, whole mindset is such a mess. And if you haven't played the game, this is, like, that's a light one. I think that's a light Arthur moment still. Yes. That's that's a pretty it's that's a pretty standard Arthur one. Later, yeah, that agreed. one's. But it still tell it still shows so much. Like, hey, this guy, his self image of being like, and how much he thinks other people care about him, and you know what they're thinking about him, and how they perceive him when he's buying a car is just, I don't know. It's it's really sad to me, and it makes you like doesn't make you feel bad for him because of all the awful things he did, but it sort of informs you why he is the way he is. Mm-hmm. At least I think so. No, I agree with that. Yeah, I, I, it, it definitely, it does a lot. Um, like, the way they play with that does a lot to flesh out his character and, and kind of fill in the gaps where you otherwise wouldn't have them. But man, it, you, you're not kidding when you say it's like, it's graphic and it's a lot and it's, it's hard to take long scenes like that. Um, where he just goes on those those monologues, and I think they get more pointed and pointed later on. Yeah, um, they but get them. I don't know. Did you? How did you guys feel about Arthur as a character and Arthur's dialogue and like the way that he was written um, overall? Like, did we did we land on like again? I know personally, I struggled with it early on because I was like, this is too much and it <laughs> mm-hmm. doesn't feel real, um, which I guess it's not. So hey, <laughs> worked out go. there. Um, but like, did we? 
how, how did we land on that? I don't know. I'm just curious. I'm curious again, because I think that it, it struck me as so much that it took me like probably a good two hours of this game before I was like, felt like I was able to understand Arthur's, not even understand, like I was able to like work with it, I guess, so to speak. Hmm. I don't know. That's hard to describe. Where, where did we land on <laughs> Arthur's character? I guess is the overarching question I want to ask there in terms of the way that he's written. Eliana, do you have anything? I'll but. start, sure. You start? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I think as a character, he's definitely meant to be despicable, and that's definitely his most defining trait, mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. being a despicable, terrible human being. And in terms of how he's written, it's he's very well written in that aspect, but it doesn't make it any easier to watch as he's doing the things that he does, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Did it ever feel like it was too much? Like, did you ever get that feeling that, oh, this is not actually a person. This is uh, a point to be made at any at any point um, during the game. There were some points where I thought, oh, that's a little extreme as things like that. But I never thought, oh, this isn't real. I thought, oh, that that's, you know, it's more extreme than I expected that this character would do. That's what I would think. Do you believe people's like some okay. people have that the say or very similar inner, you know, inner dialogues are very similar perspectives as Arthur does and like talks pretty much how he talks in his head. I think it's definitely possible. Yes. (laughs) I mean, there are some bad people out there, guys. I wouldn't be surprised if there was someone out there who had that same line of thinking like low self-confidence, high wealth and high opinion of how we should be treated. I wouldn't be surprised. I really wouldn't. I, yeah, and I think I had even mentioned this to you, Duncan. Do you think the like if the character was voice acted, I wonder how differently mm. I would have felt about them, right? Yeah. Because I can think of movies where there are characters that speak like this for periods of time, and it doesn't feel as like I don't feel as disconnected from it. And I wonder if it's just because when I read it in text, it's hard for me to put a voice to like somebody being that fucking miserable. Um, but then when it's like, oh, I hear, like, I physically hear a person talking that way, it, like, there's some subconscious thing where it hammers and they're like, oh, yeah, this is a person that is saying those things. And, like, you instantly feel, or at least I instantly feel more like that is a relatable and realistic well, character. But I don't know if that's just my inability to, like, parse text in that particular way. I think way. it's I a give and take, right? Uh, whenever you have something that's voice acted, you you potentially sacrifice a lot. Because how I read Arthur and you read Arthur mm-hmm. are obviously very different. Like, like, you know, at least when I read, I hear a little voice in my head. Uh, oh, am I crazy? Nope. No? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not Ooh. at all. No, no. Oh. I, think oh, I think you're good. I think you're good. No. Think you're good. <laughs> well, yeah. Not for that reason. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, so it, it would just be different. And I think that there is no way that when you read a character – it doesn't sound right in your head, if that makes sense. Like, the dialogue could be written poorly, which it's not. But when it's written right, and you have that character in your head, I feel like there's no way it goes extremely poorly. But when it's voice acted, and you sometimes you just get that when you hear a weird voice acted line, and it just takes you right out, and you realize that it is someone in a booth talking, and it just doesn't connect for you in that way and i Mm. think that that text just never it never fails with that so i think that if i heard arthur voice acted things would hit harder for me but there'd be a very high risk that instantaneously 
this could go very wrong and they could really lose a lot of their punch with some of the thing because I think pacing of those lines is really important too. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so I, I yeah, that's true. I hope that that's was totally true. connected to what you were asking. No, so. that makes sense. Cool. Yeah. Um, so, um, oh my God, I had it. I had it all. Oh I no. I had a question. It's oh, no. all gone. Oh no. Oh, no. It's, sli- it's slipping it's away. Gone. Goodbye. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's see. Do we have, do we have anything else we want to say about the game in general or any other specific points we wanted to talk about this? It's a very dense game, so I don't want to be like forgetting something, but also, you know, We've been going for after we add in stuff about like an hour and twenty minutes or so. So I, I feel like we're we're getting to a good length here. But I definitely don't like. There's a lot that we haven't talked about with this game. There's even questions we've written that we haven't like talked about yet. That I. But it's just I, it's dense. So does anyone have anything else they want to discuss about this game? I think Any since we talked about like Melissa that? in regards to the ending, we should just briefly talk about if the Stone family how they handled Melissa and how they managed her within their lives. So I think we should discuss that since we talked about her already. That was what I was going to say. Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Yeah. For sure. So personally, I think that they could have handled the situation better because what they basically did in the game is that they told this person that you can live here as long as you want and never have to rely you always can rely on us for anything you want we'll do anything for you wait on your hand and foot sort of things and as a result i think melissa never really grows it seems that she's the same person that she's always been from sarah's point of view and it's clear that throughout the years that that has not changed and that may never ever change and what the ending of the game reveals is that yep that's not going to change she's always (laughs) going to be like this so i think they could have handled the situation a bit better do you kind of almost I was left almost wishing that the scene where she imagines that she kills Fahad with the gun that her father kept in the um armoire was like actually happened. Mm. I kind of was like, "Oh man, I kind of wish that happened cuz that would be a really cool like it not cool again. Here yes. we go again. <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get a we yeah, gotta yeah, get a better really vocabulary. Do. That would have been a narratively I, narratively a satisfying tradi- is the word. Yeah, it would have been traditionally. <laughs> yeah, there we go. That's it. That scene specifically would have been traditionally narratively satisfying. Like the person that has been pushed and told, like you know, especially by Melissa in her head, like you can't do this, you know, and even in person later on, uh, you know, mm-hmm. you're useless, kind of stuff like that. Finally pulls out the gun and does it not specifically yourself but you know and and it takes him out there um were you left sort of like how did you feel about that fantasy compared to reality mm. i feel like if it had been real it would have been narratively satisfying but it wouldn't have made sense for her character because i feel mm-hmm. like it makes a lot more sense that she would just submit that she would just be yeah. like well i guess this is my life now and submit to his demands like she actually does so it would have been narratively satisfying if it had happened, but at the same time, I feel like what really did happen fits more with her character. Yeah, and I think the the structure of the way that they frame that scene even kind of plays into that, right? Like, it's very much, like, portrayed as, here's right. what you want to have happen, mm, Yes. but here's real life. Here's what's going to happen. Um, and I think that they, yes. did, they did a really good job with that, because, yeah, I definitely wanted that, but also, like, yeah, that's... 
that wouldn't really make sense. Like, that's not the type of person she is. That's not how this situation would play out. I mean, you know, it's obviously a wild situation to begin with. But I think, yeah, they, they did a really good job with framing that in such a way that, you know, you're immediately like, oh, wow, she actually did. Like, she took control of a situation and, you know, whether or not that was the right choice and whether or not it played out the right way like oh but like it's something wildly out of character and then immediately that's ripped from you when it like flashes back to reality and Fahad is saying how she won't do it yeah. and like oh oh okay all right all right you got me you um, got me can i read um, this is this is a scene that really i think this is what sold me and drew me into the game um can i read one of the monologues from oh, sarah yeah, about definitely. melissa Okay, cool. Yeah. So this happened in Go the beginning it. before she walked into her room and was like reflecting about Sarah and kind of, or Melissa, and giving us a, you know, the introduction to Melissa's situation and character. And this is just a blurb from it. Um, so here, here we go. Um, let me ask you something. Where does the depression end and the rude, self-centered, manipulative, and inconsiderate asshole begin? Before you... Before you think I don't love my sister, please consider what I put up with the nonsense of what dealing with her uh, entails if I did not. Would my mother, would my father, if we didn't occasionally think a cruel or heartless thing about her, do you believe that we could possibly endure it? I know she is a sick person. I know that she is not really in control of herself and that this is the darkest fate which can touch anybody. But in the midst of all of her tragedy, all of her setbacks, all I want to know is what about the rest of us? What about the people, the families, who have no responsible choice but to exist in their blast radius? The people who don't have any more of a way out if uh, out of it than they do. There is something... Yeah, that's, it is, a, that's a really good quote. There is this really intriguing question about which... And something we haven't talked about as much um, with... Uh, about suicide, mm -hmm. you know, suicidal people, mental illnesses and things like that, that, um, you know, how do we, it's very easy to physically determine, well, not all the time, but more easy to physically determine when someone is ill and when someone is not and when they need a lot of help and when they don't. But with mental, you know, you're left with this question back and forth of like, does she really, at least in the very beginning, you know, does is is this just her being very selfish or is she really incapable of doing anything mm -hmm. whether that's a yes or no she shouldn't be doing what she's doing and they shouldn't be allowing her to buy all these things and draining you know the family's funds but like overall of like should she just be in her basement right now or is this her choice and like you know the whole danny thing there's just a lot of really interesting questions that they bring up in there um mm, agreed yeah Melissa is such a complicated character and everything around there is so complicated because you don't like frequently get this type of narrative where it is like clearly engaging with the idea that you are dealing with somebody who suffers from depression and anxiety and like somebody who is like mentally ill, but then focuses so heavily on the, at least in this instance, destructive path that can leave behind them. Um, and it's just, it's a really hard thing to grapple with, honestly. Like, it makes me a little bit uncomfortable to even think about because, like, both of those are real. Like, they are both realities that Melissa has severe, you know, mental issues with some sorts of mental illnesses, but also that it is, like, it leaves, a, you know, destruction in its wake in, in some sense. But that's such a hard thing to, like, 
parse because you don't like you can't talk to somebody about that because you have to be or at least personally like i would just feel so uncomfortable talking to somebody who is suffering from depression and being like hey this is causing issues for everyone else because how do you do that like how do you say like oh you're suffering from this mental illness and it's causing us distress right that's that's such a difficult thing to struggle with and i think this game does a really good job and i think that quote that you pulled duncan kind of encapsulates the view of this game of like hey we're just going like it doesn't give you an answer right it doesn't give you a solution they're like oh this is how you should do oh this is like what you need to react to um or how you need to react to people like this it's just acknowledging the realities of both sides of the coin that's like hey this causes issues for everyone involved and like it's probably true that the issues are you know uh, I, I don't know like they're they're distributed amongst everybody it's probably true that um the issues that the person who is suffering from depression is, are significantly worse right like we don't get suicidal ideation from everyone else in the family right but it's still just like how do you how do you address that issue right like like you were saying eliana about how like clearly the family has been enabling this behavior for for her entire life and i think that's true and i think that's in the text and i think that's like totally a valid read but also like how do you how do you stop that behavior right especially when you know you we get in the text that she's gone through swings of being better and worse based on whatever particular medication she's on at the time and based on her lifestyle like i think there are obviously lifestyle changes that would make that better but it's just such a a a complicated thing and i think they did a phenomenal job laying that all out with this character and i don't think they overplay their hand with melissa at all um and I don't know. I, the, the reason that I didn't bring this topic up was because I don't really have my thoughts fully formed on it. I just think they did a really, really good job with it. And I, I, I give them props for nodding to such a complex issue, which is not something you would typically expect to see handled in the day. No, definitely. Yes. Yeah, I um, I agree. I think Melissa is probably my, like, as far as quality of writing and consistency of character is probably my favorite um, overall. Um, so, yeah. Um. Is there anything else we wanted to talk about? I know we're hitting about that hour and a half mark here. Hmm, I think I'm all good. What about you guys? I do not have anything else that I I think there's about, you know, probably four more hours of things you could say about the topics covered in this game. Oh, God, yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. That would not make for an amazing podcast. Uh, (laughs) So thank you all so much for tuning in and thank you so much Eliana for joining us uh, for talking about Little Red Lie uh, why don't you go ahead and if you want to um, re-plug anything sure one more time Story Singer Presents is a game development enterprise about creating and elevating story driven games creating story driven games we've made Sunset which tells the story of Kay a magic research and development professional who finally changes her life by signing the divorce papers and Elevate, we do giveaways and do sh- streams, saw so the Story Singer Spotlight to highlight great narrative games. The next one is going to be on May 23rd at 5 p.m. EST. And that's the Twitter for awesome. that? Is it is it at anything particular? Or so is that your main source? Yeah, it's on my main Twitter, which is Story Singer Presents without the E. So that's Story Sing, Story Sing and then P-R-S-N-T-S. You can just cool. look up Story and- Singer Presents on Twitter and also find it that way. So whatever way works for you. Great. Yeah. And we'll we'll put it in the show notes as oh, well. So you can there we just go. click on cool that beans. and hopefully go All right. Awesome. It. Awesome. Um, Alex, I expect you're looking for a financial-based greeting card. <laughs> 
oh, it's going to be hard to do our traditional closer with <laughs> oh, boy. Hard Well, I'll, I'll say our we are um, thoughts from player one. It's at thoughts from P one is our Twitter where we'll post our new episodes. Thoughts from player one at gmail.com is our email address. If you'd like to reach out to us with any additional questions, game suggestions, leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit or anywhere else you can leave a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. Um, we're also on Facebook where we post our episodes at certain points when we feel like it, get over it. There's also a discord in the description of the that's good. Tell our fans to get <laughs> they off. They like it. the sass. They like the sass. There's also a Discord server that we have uh, for Thoughts from Player One, where we're trying to grow it up a little bit for discussions about games. Once it gets to a certain, you know, smaller number of people, I think we'll get a little bit more active on it. Or if it doesn't, you know, whatever. So, yeah, that's about it, I think. All right. Well, um,. I think that's going to do it for us. My pleasure, thank you guys. so much for My joining pleasure. us. Um, thank you for suggesting yeah. this game. Um, and in traditional yes. fashion, I will end by reading a greeting card that is related to the theme of the game we <laughs> talked about, which every episode, I wonder why we <laughs> stuck to this idea. <laughs> but once again, this yes. will be a birthday card, um, which feels appropriate given what we recently did with our 100th episode. Um, so here goes. It's not considered lying about your age if you honestly can't remember it. Oh, Happy boy. birthday. <laughs> Happy birthday, everyone. God, there's not a lot of good no, lying based so. cards. <laughs>